Welcome to the Hot Lava Podcast. Kevin AC, Potter's beat writer, Jay Posner, sports editor of the Union Tribune. Cubs in town, four games. You know what? Some good pitching matchups. The Cubs, I mean, we'll talk about them. They've got uh, one significant issue, uh, but they are uh, in the second wild card spot. I believe a game and a half up on the Cardinals, two up on Milwaukee and Philadelphia. So we've got a playoff team coming to town to play the Padres, who are most decidedly, once again, not a playoff team. Jay, I guess uh, you know there's a lot of ways to go. Yesterday's game, some some good finishes. I want to talk about the significance of those, or some potentially good finishes of the season by some Padres uh, this upcoming series. Where do you want to start? Well, let me correct one quick thing from you, since I am an editor and you are the Please. writer that I have to correct sometimes. Not very often. They are actually trailing the Cardinals in the division um, oh. by four and a half. They lead the Diamondbacks by a game and a half, and they are two games ahead huh. of Philadelphia. And Milwaukee in How the did I say second wild card. Just to be the writer who's pushing back on the editor, I thought I said the Cubs were in the second wild card spot, a game and a half up on the Arizona, and two up on Milwaukee and Philadelphia. You said a game and a half up on the Cardinals, oh. team they are chasing in the Central. Although I don't think they have much of a chance to catch them at this point. But uh, anyway, you're such a good editor, Jerry. We will move on. From that, and and I, I I was struck just right before coming in here, looking back at the where there were runs being scored, you know, right and left, all over the place, just wild stuff. And then you get to this weekend, and like nothing happened. The Padres have scored nine runs in their last five games, no more than three in any of those games, and yet they did win the last two against the Rockies because they only allowed one run. And they've only allowed 10 runs in those last five games. So all of a sudden, all these games have turned into like, you know, 1960s games where the higher mound and the Bob Gibson 1.12 ERA and Sandy Koufax throwing no hitters all the time. What, what, what's your explanation for, for this? Is this just great pitching or, or is this the Padres offense just being worse than, worse than ever and kind of a combination of the two? Yeah, sure. It's a combination because we certainly don't have uh, any Cy Young winners going. I mean, and I don't mean this to be like as, uh, you know, sardonic, uh, you know, mm-hmm. as, as as mean as it sounds. But, I mean, the pitchers that the Rockies put out at the start of these three games made the pitchers that the Padres <laughs> put out at the start of these three games look like Cy Young winners. I mean, in terms of all the numbers. Um, and then, but then during the game, what we had were, as, again, not to be like awful about it, but, you know, we had, it was, funny to think we got pitchers duels going here right i joked at the i joked at the end of friday's podcast well at least one of these rockies guys will shut down the padres even though they've all been terrible and it turned out that all three of them basically did so them then some of the guys that they were throwing out of the bullpen the rockies did and i'm sure that there's uh, you know obviously Rockies fans watching uh would uh say i've never heard of some of these guys right. that the padres are pulling out of their bullpen but i mean the guys that uh, you know gave up uh, the, the game-winning run yesterday, three different guys. <laughs> one, <laughs> yeah. uh, one gave up a walk, one gave up a walk, and the other gave up uh, Will Myers' uh, single. Uh, not taking away credit from the Padres' hits, uh, but uh, those were three rookies that no one but their moms and Bud Black had ever heard of. So, you know, it, that, that was what happened. Now, the Padres, look, their, their offense, I'm at. You're surprised, actually, that – there haven't been more games in which, or more stretches in which they haven't 
scored more runs, but they're able to hit home runs, and that's you know their record when they hit one home run is is like five above five hundred. Uh, when they hit multiple home runs, it's you know. Luck. They're they're like a World Series favorite. They're they're so good. But uh, the fact is, they have the most inconsistent offense that I could conceive of watching uh, <laughs> in terms of not getting guys on base. And I'm actually surprised that they're not this bad more often. And it is a huge problem going into next year. Right. And and just in the short term, I, it's going to be interesting. I mean, they're going against four pretty good. The Cubs have a pretty uh-huh. good rotation. Uh, Kyle Hendricks has actually been their best. He doesn't have the most wins, but he does have the lowest ERA by quite a bit among their starters. He goes tonight, and then Quintana, local guy Cole Hamels against Paddock on Wednesday, and then you Darvish on Thursday. We'll get back to that a little later, but it's not going to get any easier uh, for the for the Padres' offense. So let's why don't we start there uh, and start with the most confounding offensive player of all, and that would be the hero of, I guess, what, the last two games, yeah. but especially yesterday with the walk-off hit. Will Myers, Kevin, where are we with Will Myers, and what do we make of what he's doing now, what he did earlier in the season, what he did in the middle of the season? Who the heck is Will Myers, and what the heck are they going to do with him? Well, he is the poster child for the confusing well, the confusion that can arise over a player finishing strong, right? Right. Because let me ask you this, and it's the question that the Padres are asking themselves. What would a strong finish by Will Myers mean, Jay? It means that maybe somebody <laughs> could be tricked into trading for him and not demand that you pay $15 million out of the 20. I, I don't know. I mean, it's we, yeah, we talked exactly. a little bit before that you said, oh, if he has a strong start, I think you even asked me, would you trust him as your starting yeah. as one of your starting outfielders next year? And of course, the answer has to be no. But we could take it a step further and say, would you trust Manuel Margot as a starting outfielder? Would you trust uh, after Hunter Renfro the disaster that he's been going through these last several weeks or a couple months, whatever it's been? Would you trust Hunter Renfro going into next year? I mean, we touched on this a little bit at the end of last week. I don't think they have a single outfielder right now that you can really trust. The most trustworthy guys offensively might be Nick Martini and Josh Naylor. Um, well, and we've only seen Martini for a short time. We don't know it at all if he can hit left-handers. But even if he ended up in a you know if he was in some sort of platoon next year, he does look like he can hit a little bit, and is and he certainly shows that he can get on base. But uh, again, it's small sample size and. And, and tough to tell, you know, Nail, both him and Naylor uh, are not the greatest defensive players in in the world. Uh, you know, Margot is obviously better defensively. Renfro's better defensively. But we, I don't know. The, yeah. Where do we st- – all the outfield just seems like they should just put a gigantic question mark out there, you know, in, in behind second base. It's a huge problem. I mean, it, 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 hey, look, you know, they might call it a challenge or, you know, something that they have to figure out. They wouldn't use the word problem, but that's what it is. It's they, a problem. Whatever. Yeah. So, <laughs> oh, so you asked about Will, and that's, that I, that's exactly where I wanted it to go was, you know, he is emblematic of, of the situation here. Well, oh, Myers guy. That talent is, is unbelievable. Um, I think this might be this, what, 18 at-bats since Monday, right, in both the Arizona series, the uh, Colorado series. Right. Um, then this might be, like, the best week of his career or his best since 2016. Um, in terms of how he – like, every time he goes up, you're like, this guy's going to get a hit. He is crushing the ball. 
Even his outs are hard, and he struck out twice this week. This is a guy who led the majors in strikes per plate appearance, strikeouts per plate appearance, right. um, or plate appearance per strikeout. Um, so, my goodness, it has been phenomenal, and it's everything that you think he can be, including getting picked off at second base yesterday. It's everything <laughs> Will Myers said so could be. Made a nice running catch, uh, like a full sprint in center field yesterday. Stole the base. Um, you know, wow. It's it's phenomenal. The Padres owe Will Myers twenty million dollars each of the next three years. They have basically decided to move on. Easier said than done, and so they can't say that because Will Myers may well be in their outfield on opening day next year. But it you know and, that's a big big deal for the offseason. Right, and and if he is, like I said, you can't trust him, but you also don't know that you're not going to get really good Will Myers again. And, and you know, we saw it at yeah. the very beginning of, of this year before he went into that funk. So, no, there's no question that saying that he's emblematic of the of the problem in the outfield is, is very accurate. And, and uh, there, there's just no one out there right now that you can count on, and which is, pretty, which is pretty strange because there's a lot of guys that I think they were counting on and now there's sort of got to be a reassessment going on in the offices and a look at like, boy, how many, who can we trust? How many guys do we need? You know, all that kind of thing. Cause I, I don't think there's anybody coming in the outfield from the minors. Not to start next year. That we have a see, that we're going to see at the start of next year. Yeah. Now here, one last thing on the outfield, Nick Martini. Now, Look, here's a guy who I think he was one for ten last year. What was it? Three ninety on base in those hundred and something uh, plate appearances for the A's last year. Yeah, I think year. it was three ninety seven even. One for ten against the uh, against the left handers. Okay, that so tells us no, really tells us nothing. Right, tells us nothing right. other than they didn't either didn't trust him against lefties or they had other people you know that they wanted to yep. see. I guess we could look back into his minor league. Days and so we're talking about what he did, what could be a platoon player. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say that we're talking about a starter because he's not fast, he doesn't play good defense, he's not a defensive replacement, so he's a platoon starter. I mean, don't he is in the mix to be their starting left fielder at least against righties next year? That's where you sit at you know the middle of September 2019. I'm you know that that's where we're at. It's not like this guy now because I think, wow, is this is this the new Travis Jankowski? Well. Only because he's a left-handed hitter who can get on base. He's, you know, what does this mean for the future, Travis Jankowski, who was being talked about before his injury that caused him to miss virtually all the season as a as a key piece because of what he could provide off the bench. That's not Nick Martini. So I mean, there's just so much to think about in this outfield. Right. I mean, I because Jankowski's not going to be a guy that's going to be a 390 on base guy, no. uh, but he's he's the opposite in that he's he's very good defensively and and Martini isn't and then again you have Naylor who's kind of in that same position not good defensively but and can hit another left-handed uh, another left-handed bat so yeah that's I mean we could talk about this kind of probably on every <laughs> podcast through the end of the season and and whenever we do in the off season and everything because it's it's going to be uh, it's going to be quite a question moving along to other parts of the field the the rotation let's start with that Cal Quantrill Goes tonight. He's had what two bad outings in a row, or yeah. two bad outings in a row. He pitched very well against the Cubs back in July. The Padres were at Wrigley Field. They lost the first two games of that series, both by a six to five score. And uh, on then on the Sunday game, they started Morahone. 
he went two and a third and gave up a run. And then they brought in Quantrill, and he went five and two-thirds, only gave up two hits, struck out six, didn't give up a run. He was fantastic that day. Uh, he goes tonight, again, against Kyle Hendricks. Really curious to see if Quantrill bounces back after these last couple outings that, that have not been up to what we were used to seeing from him in, uh, in, you know, in, his, in his previous starts since the All-Star break. And he's coming on the heels of what is a very rare uh, for, very rare for both of the two guys, and then very rare they would do it in succession, uh, quality starts. And really, you know, impressive outing for Joey Lucchese on Saturday and Eric Lauer on Sunday. Uh, both go six innings, another you know, second time in a row for both of them. Uh, and now we're talking about Cal Quantrill, and, and I've said it before, the three of these guys, if the Padres can, can get another starting pitcher to put near or at the top of the rotation, the three of these guys probably in a competition for the fifth starter's job. And then one of them may be coming out of the pen. One of them may be traded. And I think that that's a pretty big deal to, to keep an eye on. So this is a big start. And if, if uh, the things that Cal Quantrill showed in the seven outings, the, the six starts and that game you mentioned against the Cubs coming out of the All-Star break, where I think it was, what, like a 2-0-something ERA. Um, he had a few quality starts in there. I mean, really was a guy you thought, well, over these, this month, when things were going terribly, he's the only starter you can really count on. Right. Um, right. If, he, if he shows those things, well, then okay. But, you know, these last two starts has, has been actually the opposite of that. Uh, a guy who has gotten tired, um, whose stuff hasn't been that great, who hasn't been able to find the strike zone uh, early uh, and, and in crucial situations. Yeah, this is a big start for Cal Quantrill, that's yeah. for sure. Face- Tomorrow? Right, facing a Ronald decent line. Right, face- one Quantrill facing, a, you know, again, a good lineup. Tonight and then his next start would be if if everything stays on par. I think he would pitch the Sunday game at Coors Field, so that's always uh, interesting. Uh, yeah, Bolaños goes tomorrow. The one start we saw, as you said, you were, it was kind of fascinating to watch the guy. You know, the pitches that would be in seventy miles an hour and then ninety-eight miles an hour almost. Uh, yeah. So you know, again, facing guys that haven't seen him, he hasn't seen them, and. Uh, you know, see how he pitching at Petco for the first time. And he's one of those guys where it really is true. You know, Padres relievers have a one eight five ERA. Or I'm, I'm sorry, Padres rookie starters have a one eight five ERA in their debuts because you know it can be argued a rookie starter if he can control his nerves has the advantage, and especially a guy with the variance of pitches that Ronald Bolaños has. So right, right. Uh, it'll be it'll be interesting. But he'll tell you what. If he finishes strong, then he goes in the next year as a real candidate for the rotation. Oh, no question. I mean, he he certainly would have to be uh, would have to be in the mix at uh, at that point. And then Wednesday night, to me, the best matchup of of the week, especially given the local ties with Cole Hamels from Rancho Bernardo, uh, almost thirty six years old now. Uh, Hamels over twenty five hundred strikeouts, one hundred and sixty three wins, uh, has not faced the Padres since a year ago June when he was with Texas he's been he's been decent this year 395 ERA not you know what we saw in his prime but still pretty good and then Chris Paddock always I still always interested to see Paddock pitch against against anyone and especially against a team like the Cubs and he has not seen them either he did not pitch at Wrigley when the Padres were there a couple months ago and then Denelson Lamette who did face the Cubs two years ago when he was a rookie, 
will pitch Thursday. I thought he pitched pretty well on Friday night. That was the one game I saw in person. He had a little bit of trouble at the beginning, didn't get a lot of help from his defense, but rallied strong and thought he came up with a good start. And then he'll go against you, Darvish, on Thursday. I do have to throw this out to you, Kevin. Darvish this year has allowed 31 home runs. He's hit 11 batters and thrown 11 wild pitches. Um, so it's safe to say we don't know what we're going to see on uh, on Thursday from you, Darvish. He has not faced the Padres since the end of 17 when uh, when he was with the Dodgers. So that, What a fascinating matchup considering what Denelson Lamette is capable of. Right. Both those guys are capable of going out and, you know, striking out it, like 12 and in five innings or also and probably walking, walk, right, walking five and, and maybe hitting a guy and, and uh, who knows. So that's the Thursday afternoon game, which will uh, close out the penultimate homestand of the year. And then you're off to Colorado for the weekend and then uh, one more trip to the Midwest, right? Milwaukee? Yeah, Milwaukee and then Arizona will be here and the Dodgers. I mean, there's a lot of playoff teams that they're uh, are, are, uh, teams spying for the playoffs. Yeah, with the uh, exception they, of the Rockies, the the other teams yeah. are all playing for something uh, certainly at this time. We can see what happens in a, in a week and a half or whatever. But the Padres will have certainly have some fans, maybe not a lot of them at Petco this week compared to Cubs fans, but they'll have fans across the country over in, you know, Arizona, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, a lot of people there rooting for the Padres to take down the Cubs this week. What are we missing, Kevin? Well, what the Padres are hoping for, because it sure has to be depressing, it's depressing for the veterans, it has to be depressing for fans to hear that again, Jay, what you aptly described, you know, the spoilers. Here they are again, same old thing. And so uh, what they're what they're trying to uh, bolster themselves with is the hope and the belief that <laughs> this is the last September as spoilers. Uh, and you know, I mean, it really they, here they are again with this season of, uh, of you know there was a lot of hope, and and I think the players convinced themselves they could do it. And uh, once again, because of a terrible July, they were uh, that that's what's left for this season. As as we were spent a podcast talking about what what strong finishes mean, and uh, the Padres being spoilers. Right, right. And to be <laughs> fair, I mean, even I, I think even if they had not had the the collapse, sort of collapse in July there that stretch where they lost 15 out of 21 they've still basically I mean the best that I think they could have been was around a 500 team 500 still wouldn't be good enough in terms of making these games terribly meaningful uh right now but it would certainly be better uh than the current situation but they are uh as it stands now 10 games behind uh the Cubs who are in that second second wild card uh, spot so maybe they'd be five games behind if if they hadn't fallen apart but it it would have made it more interesting over these last few weeks and who knows maybe they would have you know they would have been playing to win a little bit more down the stretch than than they have been I mean again we have to say not that they're not playing to win but as you're going to be writing today there's a difference between <laughs> playing to win and really playing to win Right. There's uh, there's the aim of the uh, management, uh, meaning the front office, uh, and, and the aim of the people in uniform. Uh, and then there's the fast. I I I've talked with uh, the Padres veterans, which takes about three minutes because there's only a few of them. Uh, <laughs> and it's fascinating that what they've gone through this year and how they you know they were told at the start of the season this is how it's going to be, right? Mm-hmm. Like like listen. This is what's going to be. We're going to go with the six-man rotation that really only has five guys. Uh, you know, and then some injuries happened in the bullpen. They all knew what that meant. And you know, gosh, rookies. And we don't even at that point. Let's try to remember back 
They had no idea Fernando Tatis Jr. was going to have the season. Remember that they were bracing themselves for a rough start to Fernando Tatis's season. Okay, well, I know. And now, we, and now we wonder what was the you know. Again, with everything that's gone on this year, I think sometimes we forget Tatis basically only played half a season. I mean, yeah, what would what would it have meant to this team if he could have played a whole season? Maybe there could have been a little bit more of a, uh, you know, of a of a miracle, so to speak. But anyway, but keep in, going. in their minds, mm-hmm. they knew ah, this just you know. But there's a huge difference between you and I, fans watching Rosillo and Mud, you know, uh, people sitting in the loge level. Having an uh, an idea, being realistic about this team, and the players that actually have to go through it, and how they convince themselves, no, we can do it, man, mm-hmm. we can make this happen. And now they're having to sit here and watch, you know, Austin Allen catch and Nick Martini play left, and Greg Garcia play short. And no, I'm not disparaging anyone. I'm just saying that's not a playoff team. Right. Right. And so that's that's rough on them, but they're and they're frustrated and. They're ready for it not to be this, like, um, you know, dual track of, yeah, we're trying to win, but, you know, we we got to have Chris Paddock on the innings limits. Um, anyway, it, it's fascinating what these guys have gone through, and so that's what I'll be writing about tonight. Good. We'll look forward to that uh, story online later this evening, and then, uh, obviously, coverage of the games this week. And then Ooh. we will uh, talk to you from beautiful Denver, your last visit to the Mile High City this year, on uh, Friday. So until then, everyone, have a good week. I did mention one thing, Jay, at the yep. outset, and it, it's, you know, funny to mention, hey, this is what to look forward to that's not to look forward to. Not only no uh, Fernando Tatis, no hobby bias. That's right. As I mentioned that at the top of the show, that, you know, the, pod, the Cubs have one significant challenge to overcome. So uh, that's always, always look forward to hobby bias coming to town, but uh, some injury has him out likely. Uh, for the whole season. So I just wanted to, you know, since I said it at the start, wanted to make sure I did mention what is that one significant yeah. issue. They called up this kid, what, Nico uh, Nico Horners, uh, I believe, one of their top prospects, uh, to play shortstop. I think you'll see him in the lineup tonight. But, like Jay said, we'll talk to you later.